0: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.
1: Welcome to episode number 56 of the Marine Layer Podcast. Bit of a different episode today. We record a crossover episode with our friend Blake Harris of the Dodgers Inside the Ravine podcast. We talk about the series this upcoming weekend with L.A., a little bit of Julio Rodriguez, Mookie Betts, the Shohei Otani sweepstakes in the offseason. We also do our Russell Wilson Umpire of the Week and Speak Your Mind with Blake. That was a little bit extra fun. We also have our Mariners storyline this week, Andres Munoz with a bit of a different repertoire over the past month.
2: And just your reminder before we start this show that if you're listening on our audio platforms, head over to YouTube, go subscribe there, watch our video side of this podcast, and then like, comment, and make sure to to turn those notification bells on so you know when we post a show or a segment. And if you're watching on YouTube, check us out on the audio side too, on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. Go follow us, download our episodes, and make sure to leave us that five-star review. The reviews and the downloads really help us out big time. And then head over to social media, too. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at MarineLayerPod. Let's get it rolling.
1: And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording here on Thursday, September 14th. And Shohei Ohtani just had to rain on our parade. What a disaster. What an absolute disaster, dude. And you know what?
2: Our whole campaign is trying to recruit Shohei here, so I'm not going to blame this on Shohei. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Obviously, he was injured. If you're injured, he doesn't want to risk it. He doesn't want to get more injured. He wants to stay healthy or as healthy as he can. No, I'm going to blame this on... Eh, who can we put, pin the blame on for this? Artie Moreno? Phil Nevin? Yeah, actually, let's go with Phil Nevin, because this dude just strung us along for days on end about, yeah, he's going to be fine. He's going to play. He He's in the lineup on Monday. They they penciled him into the lineup, and then, oh, no, he scratched. So the blame's going on Phil Nevin here. And guess what, Shohei? You don't want to play for Phil Nevin for any longer than the next two to three weeks. You don't want to play for that guy.
1: Why doesn't he just say he's done for the season? Why can't Shohei just be like, yep, not feeling it anymore, guys. I'm, I'm good.
2: So I've seen conspiracies from Angels fans on Twitter thinking that they don't actually want to do that because they believe that the idea that he could play on any given night sells extra tickets. So in this regard, then it's an Artie Moreno thing that he's trying to sell tickets any way he can at this point in the year.
1: In the end, it's all an Artie Moreno thing. Artie Moreno is the reason the Angels are where they are right now. Artie Moreno is the reason they've signed all these selectively bad free agent contracts while also managing to be cheap in other very important aspects of the front office, uh, the coaching staff, of uh, the way they treat their fans. And then, oh, here at the end of the year, putting guys on waivers so we can get under the luxury tax. You can't make it up.
2: You really can't. I'm just sad. Look, we're going to be truthful here on this part of the podcast. I'm just sad because I was so excited to do this. I was so excited to try to interact with a bunch of fans and really get all the chance going and get everybody involved and let Shohei hear it. We didn't even get one chance. It's not like he didn't play in one game. No, he didn't get one single at bat. We didn't get one chance as a collective fan base to just chant for him and let him hear it the way we did at the All-Star Game. And I was looking forward to it, too. I had this perf- perfect utopian society and image just pictured out in my head where he was going to play all week, every single at-bat. There was just going to be thunderous chants for him, and he was going to be blown away. The broadcasts were going to be like, man, they're doing this every at-bat. But we didn't get one shot. Not one shot. So, yes, I'm I'm sad about
1: it. I'll credit you. You did try adapting on the fly, but it didn't really catch on. I think it's because he
2: wasn't in the lineup. I think if Mariners fans had seen him in the lineup and people around other fans were chanting, more fans would have joined in. But when you're trying to chant, we want Shohei for a random hitter, there's probably Mariners fans at the game that just don't know what in the world is going on. Even though you try to explain it to people, there's probably people sitting around you who maybe you didn't get the word out to. That say, yeah, I don't I don't get it. What's what's the point? And they didn't get the memo. So I think it's harder when he's not in
1: the lineup. Most importantly though, Mariners did win the series, would have preferred a sweep, as you heard Wednesday's episode. That was recorded right after Monday's loss. Tuesday and Wednesday were significantly better outcomes. And it probably did help the Mariners that Shohei wasn't in the lineup, the one really true good player in their lineup. So that helped, and now the Mariners embark on what will be the toughest 16-game stretch of the season. A three-game series with the Oakland A's stuffed right in the middle of a series with the Dodgers, two series with the Rangers, and a series with the Astros to end the season. Uh, buckle up, Lyle. This, this shit's about to get intense.
2: It's not going to be easy outside of those three games against the A's. It ain't, it ain't going to be easy one
1: bit you're going to hear it in our crossover episode with Blake Harris which you hear after our first Mariners storyline but Dodgers fans have it nice they can just coast to the end of the season the Dodgers have a 13 game lead in the National League West Blake's like oh they might clinch this weekend they might not i mean it doesn't really matter they'll clinch sometime in the next week and they might just cruise through the rest of the season why well, like must be nice <laughs> cuz we don't get that it must be
2: really nice no Mariners fans are going to be sweating it out for the next couple of weeks. I will say before we get to our storyline here, did want to talk to you guys about our friends over at pagacha's Pub eighty five. So that's pagacha's Pub eighty five in Kirkland. It's on eighty fifth Street east of four hundred five. As they like to say, they have food and drinks that are not trendy. It's not fancy. It's just good food. They have the best pizza in town. They've got twenty two TVs inside the bar, so any sport you want to watch, you'll have access to it over at Pagacha's Pub eighty five. They have some happy hour specials, guys, that we wanted to talk to you about. Monday through Friday, happy hours, 2 to 6 p.m. That features $3 domestic beers, $4 Manny's Blue Moon, $4, $4 Mac and Jacks, and $4 Wells, as well as $4 house wine. So that's happy hour, Monday through Friday, 2 to 6 p.m. All that accessible to you over at Pagacha's Pub 85. I think that's a pretty good deal.
1: I think so, too. I would also like to note with our friends over at Chasing Aces Golf that we have a winner for the Saturday Night Dodger Mariners tickets. Congratulations to Joseph Ho. Joseph, if you listen to this podcast and you don't know yet, congratulations. You have won those three tickets, first level, for a sold-out Saturday Night Dodgers Mariners game. All the proceeds of that fantastic charity raffle going to pause.org. Fantastic that we're able to help contribute to that. And to everyone who submitted for those, thank you. Your money is going to a fantastic cause. And for you, Joseph, I really hope you enjoy the game on Saturday. Let's get to our Mariners storylines. Our one storyline today, Lyle. Bit of a long episode, so we had to cut it down. Andres Munoz has, has been a different pitcher this last month, hasn't he?
2: He has, and, it's, and it all has to do with his slider, which was his best pitch by far a season ago all of a sudden he's not throwing it all that much, especially over the last month. It hasn't quite become
1: non-existent, but it's certainly not featured anymore. On an outing-to-outing outing basis, since August 13th, uh, which, is a ga- which game was August 13th? I have it written down here. It was against the Orioles, a game he had against the Orioles here at home on a Sunday that he served up a run in. The Mariners eventually lost the game in extra innings. That was the Cedric Mullins game. So that was the last outing his slider was thrown a majority of the time. Since that point, over essentially the last month of time, the slider has dipped under 30% usage. And in that place, depending on the outing, it's either been the fastball or the sinker, both pitches he throws extremely hard, around 98, 99, 100 miles an hour, that have replaced it in that sense. Here's one thing I want you to chew on here, Lyle, early. that against right handers, which you would think a slider is the perfect out pitch against a right hander. He's essentially not He he's not using his slider as much against right handers. It's primarily sinkers. It's like 60% sinkers against right handers, which is a pitch that breaks in on the hands of righties and goes down. But his premier strikeout pitch, he's almost just not just not thrown it as much just hasn't been as
2: effective. And then you look what he was doing against lefties over the last month with the slider. It was starting to get hit around a little bit. So lefties were slugging 455 against Munoz's slider over the last month or so. And to your point, he wasn't throwing it to righties. He's replaced it with that sinker. So he has changed his pitch repertoire a little bit. Do we think any of this has to do with some of the injuries he's built up this year? I don't know. And this is simply why I'm asking you, because I I genuinely don't know what the answer to this question is. But do we think there's any chance that either the foot sur- the foot surgery that Munoz had in the offseason where he didn't get a full spring training or this hip stuff that's starting to slightly bother him a little bit right now may
1: or may not be affecting his slider usage? It could be because if I think about it, the, the spot he wants to throw his fastball at is, or sorry, his slider at would be the outside corner to righty's inside corner to lefty. That's probably the perfect pitch. Perfect placement for where he wants to throw his slider. If he could get around on that pitch and he could target that pitch to that spot, then he would he would want to do it. But the problem is with his fastball and his sinker, they break the opposite direction. So he doesn't have to throw, he doesn't have to aim a pitch to that side of the plate as often. Am I making sense with that? just going the other direction not having to maybe go a little bit more with his left hip of course being his front hip and I believe that was the hip that was bothering him over the past month that yeah I'm just kind of spitballing here just like going trying to go inside corner to righties instead of outside corner might be a little easier physically on him perhaps
2: that could be and maybe that's part of the reason he's throwing the sinker more I think the key will be what he looks like in the spring and in early April and May of 2024, and if that slider comes back. Because we cannot stress this enough. Andres Munoz's best pitch, at least last year, was his slider. And it wasn't even close. You look at the run value of his slider last year, 20. Not only is 20 in the positive, and and meaning that's a good thing for pitchers to have a high run value on a pitch, it was astronomical. He was in the elite of elite category in terms of effectiveness of his slider a season ago. Well, it's not the same this year. It's at two. And truthfully, it's probably come down in the last month. So there's a huge gap in effectiveness and production between that slider from year to year. So maybe some of that has to do with the injuries. And he's also putting less guys away with it. Like His put-away percentage has gone down over the month's time with that slider, which may be another reason he's opted to use less of it.
1: It's kind of strange, though, because you'd think of it, okay, has the physical properties of that slider deteriorated? We talked about stuff plus before. The stuff plus on that slider last year was 141. Again, the pure stuff, like the break in the velocity, not counting location, coming out of his hand of that slider. 141 last year, 135 this year. That's 41% better than the league average slider stuff-wise last year, 35% better than the league average this season. There's a difference, but it's elite versus elite on that pitch. You kind of shrug your shoulders. I'm like, okay, what about location? Now they have a location plus stat as well, which location plus is a count and pitch type adjusted judge of a pitcher's ability to put pitches in the right place. If that's not enough of a mouthful for you to digest, that's from Fangraphs. His location plus on these given pitches, in these given counts, Was 103 last year on the slider, 3% better than league average, 102 this year, 2% better than league average. Not a difference. Now, there's also another stat. One more plus stat I'm going to throw at you, Lyle. Pitching plus. Pitching plus. It's not just a weighted average of stuff, stuff plus and location plus across a pitcher's arsenal. Rather, it's a third model that uses the physical characteristics, location, and count of each pitch to try and judge the overall quality of a pitcher's process. Digest that. Anyways, for that definition, pitching plus for Andres on his slider last year was 117, 17% better than league average, and 110 this year. Again, Difference but not immense, not Andre slacking off under 100, which would be concerning, which is kind of what I was expecting to see here, but I haven't, which, is, which makes this discussion more puzzling. Am I making sense with that?
2: It all makes sense. It all makes sense. Now, the old heads that listen to this podcast may be listening to this segment thinking, man, I just walked into math class, but I think it all makes sense what you're saying. It honestly just puzzles me more, that being said, that the numbers aren't that far apart from year to year, because I figured that the numbers would be very, very different because he hasn't, at least off the eye test, which we try not to use that much, but just sitting and watching games and watching Munoz throw a slider as of late, it does feel like he has not commanded it as well. But all those numbers say it's not that drastic.
1: It's not. But I'm glad that he's been able to adapt on the fly and throw his sinker much more. And it's been an effective pitch. I was very pleased yesterday on Wednesday of his outing. Not only was he throwing the hardest he's thrown essentially all season, he was sitting over 101 miles an hour on his fastball. His sinker was sitting 99. He was just nasty. He only threw one slider in that outing. For I think 2023 Andres Munoz, that might be the best version of him we've seen so far this season.
2: Nobody hits his sinker. And on, on top of that, nobody hits it hard. It, like, I think it's almost physically impossible to hit that pitch hard when it's going at 100, 101 miles an hour, and it's running in on you, and it's low in the zone, and it's at your hands. Look at what hitters have done against it. I mean, his sinker usage is way up as a result of needing that second effective pitch. And opponents, expect, expected batting average against that sinker this year, it's 175, and their expected slug is 197. So let me say it again. Nobody's hitting that pitch.
1: The thing is, w- which is why I'm so glad he's brought the sinker along is I feel like he'd be a little screwed right now if he didn't if he didn't have that pitch and wasn't throwing it and he was still trying to force his fastball and slider in there. I'm curious how effective he would be because it's been again even more clear over the last month that he just hasn't had his slider and that's his primary pitch. And if you don't have your primary pitch as a reliever, that makes you significantly less effective and that really hampers the Mariners and Scott service's ability to manage a game at the end of a ball game but with the sinker coming along i th- i think it's very effective he's yet to give up a barrel on that pitch this year uh, that sinker has a lower quality of contact than his slider this year in a good sense i'm using x woba lower x woba means worse contact on the pitch it has the same hard hit rate barrel uh and a lower barrel rate as well which is all all important things when coming to you know a pitch that essentially takes the the ability for a a player to do damage off the table that's what it does so it's cool to see for Andres Munoz it's it's definitely a much different look and if you told us last year that this year he'd be ditching his slider completely for a sinker I would have kind of laughed but It's worked and it's going to have to work until we get to the offseason. Andres can figure out what's the problem with his his best pitch.
2: And thank goodness he found the sinker, like you said, because you get deep into September and potentially into the postseason, they're going to need Andres Munoz in high leverage. And if your best reliever, at least your best reliever from last year, only has one pitch, that's not much of a recipe for success. But the fact he has two pitches that are both effective and he's getting results with it, That's a very positive sign.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Very interesting to see for Andres Munoz over the last course of this season. And just a reminder, guys, look at Lyle's shirt across from us before we get to our crossover with Blake Harris. The come to Seattle, look where he got that shirt. He got it at Simply Seattle. Lyle got to go hang out with our friends at Simply Seattle this weekend at the ballpark. For all of your best Huskies, Mariners, Seahawks, and Pacific Northwest themed gear, remind you, go over to Simply Seattle, use our code MARINE15 for 15% off your order at Simply Seattle. You can go to their physical locations or you can go online to simplyseattle.com. Use our code MARINE15 for all the best gear in the Pacific Northwest. We can't recommend it enough.
0: This fall, stream your favorites and discover more with Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus together. Watch the highly anticipated new season of Loki and see the ghosts materialize in Haunted Mansion on Disney Plus. Catch more frights with the Boogeyman and American Horror Story Delicate on Hulu. And on ESPN Plus, get into the action with college football and NFL. All of these and more streaming now. Get the Disney bundle with plans starting at 9.9. A month. Plans with ESPN Plus starting at $14.99 a month. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details.
1: Now, Lyle, I'm very happy we got to do this episode with Blake. It's different. We don't usually do two guest weeks, but this isn't necessarily a guest episode. Blake's a friend of ours. We went to school together at ASU, and we thought, why not? We both do podcasts for separate teams. He does a Dodgers podcast. Inside the Ravine, we do a Mariners podcast. Big series this weekend in September. Why don't we cross over and we do an episode together? And that's essentially what we did with Blake. Got some fun segments in, talked a bunch of different things, Julio, Mookie, etc. It was a lot of fun, uh, and we recommend you stick around to listen to it.
2: That was the bulk of the podcast this week, is doing this crossover episode. Talked a lot about the upcoming series. Yeah, we talked a lot about each of the team's stars where their season is heading after this. Basically everything you could want to unravel inside a Mariners-Dodgers preview. Oh, and that Otani guy? Yeah, we talk about him a lot too because the two teams that we do podcasts for may be his top two suitors. So we definitely dove into that. But fun episode. And like TJ said in the open, Blake sticks around with us to do both a Russell Wilson Umpire of the Week and Speak Your Mind. So it was fun to include him in
1: in that at the end too. So just a note for those listening. This is going to go up on in the Inside the Ravine podcast as well, the same recording. So when you hear us coming in, Blake is going to bring it in for us. So just to clarify, Blake Harris will be the voice you hear on the other side of this transition to bring us into our crossover episode with Inside of the R- Ravine. Let's not keep you any longer, though. Let's get to that crossover episode. <laughs>
3: how is it going everyone and welcome to a very very special i guess crossover edition of inside the ravine this is going to be a fun one because there's a huge series this week not only for the dodgers for uh potentially clinching the nl west but for the team they're going to be facing because in case you guys haven't looked at the standings the seattle mariners are not only in the wild card hunt they are in the division hunt as well so This is an episode that's probably been five or six months in the making. Joining me, two guys that uh, Josh and I both know personally. TJ Lyle co-host of the Marine Lair podcast so first off gentlemen I'm glad we're able to make this happen I think we talked about this back in Arizona in February that we'd have to make a show once these two teams played each other all the way at the end of the season so welcome on I'm uh also I guess I should introduce myself to all the Mariners fans listening I am Blake Harris of the Inside the Ravine podcast but uh how we doing boys
1: good Blake you did mention that this weekend's big but the Dodgers also have a chance to clinch this weekend where are they going to go celebrate there's there's no pool there's you know they no. can go jump in the Puget Sound is well actually that's that's only counting if the Dodgers won a game this weekend which well we don't know
3: yet <laughs> I was I was gonna say there is the scenario where the Dodgers just get swept but because other teams in the division might help them it might be like the third inning on Sunday Dodgers are down five nothing but they might have just clinched the division. So we might have a very boring celebration if that's the case. Maybe they'll go take the uh, underground city tour in downtown Seattle. Maybe that's how they'll celebrate. Did you ever do that, TJ? I don't think I've ever done the underground (laughs) tour.
1: Oh, I've done it multiple times, you know. Well, I've done
3: it. I've done it. I don't even live in Seattle. I've been (laughs) there once and I've done it.
2: Maybe I did it when I was really young and just don't remember. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just have no memory of it. So maybe when I was way younger, we did an underground tour, but where is it again tj
1: is it like in pioneer L? square in case you didn't know lyle the old city burnt down so they built an entire new one <laughs> on top of it oh and the old the new the old one was flooded as well so they needed uh they needed to to raise it up a little bit you know Whew. but the more, the more you know they not teach was... that in uh, kirkland public schools yeah maybe i'm
2: not
3: culturally versed on my own city the more <laughs> you learn Hmm. I think I've probably so I've done the underground city tour and I've probably visited more Starbucks in Seattle than Lyle has. And again, oh, I've been there a, once in my guarantee.
1: life. Hey, what do you think of the original one?
3: It was cool, but I'm I'm also like Lyle. I I don't drink I don't drink Starbucks for different reasons. But I just I I choose not to drink them. And then I choose. You get to the original
1: one and you realize that it's the exact same one as the one two blocks away that's
3: nicer and less crowded. Yeah. And then the one that's two blocks past that. And then the one that's right. across the street from that. So if you really want I, to go <laughs> to a Starbucks, go to the reserve. Go to the reserve. Yes. It's
1: actually nice.
3: There you go. So we're going to have a lot of Dodgers talk, a lot of Mariners talk, a lot of random talk that's probably going to go down over the next course, you know, of 60 minutes or so. But guys, the first thing I want to talk about, and again, if you're a Mariners fan listening, you probably already know this, but there's going to be a lot of Dodgers fans that are going to be tuning in that probably haven't been following the Mariners at all this season. Like I mentioned, they might not realize that this is a Mariners team that not only is fighting for a wild card spot, but is fighting for a division spot. I mean, as of right now, I think they're what? It's like them, the Astros, and the Rangers are all within, what, one and a half, two games as of, what, September 14th?
2: Yeah, two games, two and a half games. I mean, or to be exact, if you just, yeah, you pull up the standings. Or it's a game and a half. So the Mariners are a game and a half out. Texas is one game out. Houston leads.
3: Yeah, so the Mariners are right in there. Again, if all goes well for them this weekend, you know, the Dodgers could be leaving. NOS champs but the Mariners could also be leaving leading the division so guys just for the Dodgers fans out there listening what is it about this Mariners team that has them so close to being a first place team that has them so close to winning the first division title in what 22 years so what exactly has been clicking for the team this year
1: I think we could just start with the guy on Friday I know he made headlines a week ago on Friday when this releases George Kirby after the game against Tampa Bay Said some things he probably shouldn't have, but as we realized when he said he didn't want to go out after 90 pitches and throwing six innings, that any rational baseball person would probably think, yeah, that probably happens weekly in Major League Baseball, where some guys, especially this time of year, don't want to go out there and throw. But George Kirby's been such a, he's been, he has been an ace this year for what the Mariners have needed. He's given them distance, he's given them, you know, 98 sitting 98 lowest walk rate in baseball Four elite pitches that he commands at all parts of the strike zone you're only knock on the guys that he doesn't strike enough guys out but really that's it I mean he's been so su- he's taken such a second year leap and it's really been one of those key parts of, of a rotation that's been such a nice nice revelation that they've lived up to the billing it hasn't just been Kirby it's been Luis Castillo who's Bill, as Bill, just an absolute ace as well. And Logan Gilbert has taken a very nice step forward with his off-speed pitches this year. He's also chewed up a ton of innings and been very effective at limiting walks. The Mariners are best team in baseball at limiting walks. But I, I would really say it mostly ties back to the rotation, Blake. I know the Dodgers have had a lot of trouble staying healthy in the rotation. And the Mariners have the same. But those guys, those three guys at the front, Logan Gilbert, Luis Castillo, George Kirby, they've been healthy throughout the season. And they've been there when the Mariners have really needed it the most.
2: Yeah. I think it all ties back to the starting pitching. You look at those three and if you're going to set up a playoff series, it is going to be those three aforementioned guys. But the fact that they've had rookies come up this year and not miss a beat has been, I think the biggest difference maker. Cause you look, you lost Robbie Ray in his first start of the season. You lost Marco Gonzalez during the summer who, Look, Marco Gonzalez isn't an ace, but he is an innings eater, and he was throwing productive innings. The fact they've had two rookies step in, and Brian Wu and Bryce Miller, and essentially be not just good, but better than those guys that they replaced, that's been the big difference because you can't just lose every two of five games and get into the playoffs. Those guys have been awesome for being just rookies, and Brian Wu's on a pretty short innings limit, too. So for what they've done, combined with what the big three have done, there's a reason this group's a top five starting rotation in baseball and and honestly you could argue even higher up than that
1: and i, I would know think, you guys... Blake, like i would think that the dodgers feel kind of similar in that retrospect they've also had some young guys like bobby miller and right. gavin stone as you mentioned really step into that rotation ryan pepio over the weekend coming in and, and really perform and i think we'll see some of that young talent on both sides this weekend
3: I mean, the thing I was going to mention real quickly was you were talking about the starting pitch. I know you guys, when you were talking about Shohei Otani, you know, a couple weeks ago, one of the things that Lyle was talking about, especially why you don't need him to necessarily pitch next year, is because the Mariners starting pitching depth is absolutely insane. Like I think Lyle said, they can go like seven, eight, maybe nine deep with so many guys that are absolutely loaded. And again, like you mentioned... There's a couple of guys they've gotten essentially no production from this year. So what the Mariners have done with the starting pitching watching from afar has been crazy. But like you said, TJ kind of the same thing with the Dodgers. I don't know how many rookies I mean, I could probably count them on 20 fingers, have come up for the Dodgers this year, but like Ryan Pepio, he has exceeded expectations. Bobby Miller's exceeded expectations. Emmett Sheehan, a guy that they called up straight up from double A, didn't pitch a single inning in triple A. He came up, I think he took a no hitter like into the sixth or seventh inning in his first career starting. A couple other guys that have really come up and had to eat innings for the Dodgers because there's been a plethora of injuries. So I guess, yeah, starting pitching for the Mariners, that's been a big takeaway. One thing I wanted to tell you guys, and I don't know how, I don't know if you guys have the same thoughts on this. Yesterday, I was going through MLB Reddit, as I do every day. It's, I just like to keep up with that kind of stuff. And there was an interesting thread. And someone did a thread saying, you're starting a baseball team today. You have the first overall pick of a massive draft. Who are you taking? And for some reason, I don't even know why this is. My initial thought when I thought about this, you guys might like this, was Julio Rodriguez. I didn't think of Ronald Acuna, who a lot of people had in the comments as their guy. I didn't think of Shohei Otani. I didn't think of like Adley Rushman. I didn't think of all these young starting pitchers. For some reason, my first gut instinct was Julio Rodriguez. Now, again, for a lot of non Mariners fans, they might not realize. They might have just tuned out, you know, at the All Star break when they saw his numbers at the All Star game. Had it not been for Shohei Otani, had it not been for Corey Seeger's incredible season he's having, Julio Rodriguez would probably be right at the top of the mvp conversation so i want to hear from you two guys about what it's like seeing julio on a day-to-day basis and do you think he's exceeded your expectations that you set for him at the beginning of the season
1: we joked and thought it was a down year really through as soon as the trade (laughs) deadline hit we 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 were sitting here still kind of waiting and i think the message we kept pounding through is that the mariners weren't going to turn around until julio did and then he spent the month of August hitting over 400 and not just 400, you know, WRC plus above 200, which we like that stat way more than batting average. I know you do. too. I, I do
3: too, TJ. I love that yeah. stat more than batting average. <laughs> My co-host probably wouldn't agree, but I, I agree with you. Yeah, well, where is he to to fight back? Where are at, uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, with the uh, Ontario rain. <laughs> okay. but, he, but he's in Vegas, so he's probably actually having a, a pretty good time right now. Oh, I don't doubt it. We're big
1: fans of Vegas on this podcast. Um, but we're, we're sitting here, you know, in September now. And one, like the Mariners starting pitching again, as we mentioned, it's been just so key into them winning games. But they didn't start actually winning and, and climbing back into the playoff ranks until Julio started being Julio and really igniting this offense. It's just such a different offense when Julio Rodriguez is doing everything he does. And if you think about this, Blake, I mean, the dude is built like He's built like a almost like a tight end. He's 6'3", he's 230 pounds, but you know, unlike a tight end, the dude is one of the fastest players in baseball. He's one of the best center fielders in baseball on top of his, you know, now 30-30 power, the 44th player ever to go for a 30-30 season. It's it's really special. The the hit tool is there, I mean. He strikes out a little bit too much. He doesn't walk quite as much as a, as a Juan Soto would. He doesn't cut his strikeouts down as much of, as a Ronald Acuna does, but he really just hammers the baseball and he hits it a lot. That dude is that dude special. And the most important thing, I mean, he's always got a smile on his face.
2: Who else would even be in that conversation for a startup roster with one player right now? You could probably throw Corbin Carroll in there. You can probably throw Acuna in there. I don't even know if I throw Soto in there because yeah. he just doesn't play any defense. It's probably what those three.
3: Yeah, I was, I was going to say Juan Soto, but the fact that he's probably going to be a full-time DH starting next year might kind of limit that just a little, but yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, maybe those couple, like a, a lot of people had Adley Rushman on the list just because he's probably the best catcher right now in baseball at such a young age, but yeah, when you take into account Julio's age, his production offensively, defensively, I mean, he's electric like you guys said. i I, th- I think you can make the case for Julio. Like I said, that was the one that came to mind, not Acuna. Maybe that's because I'm a little salty right now about the MVP race, but Julio was the guy that if I was building a team around, like I got the first overall pick, I'd, I'd be taking Julio. What do you think about Mookie for that, Blake? I mean, that dude is aging like fine wine. Mm. Mm. There's a certain guy that uh, lost his job today with the Boston Red Sox, and I got a feeling the Mookie had a small part to play in that. So yeah, just just a that. little bit.
1: <laughs> just a little bit. Good thing that all those prospects are working out. Right. Hey man. Connor Wong's looking great. Yeah, do the Dodgers still need another outfielder He'll Verdugo might be on the trade block. <laughs> oh boy. I,
2: I saw today, Verdugo almost got sent to the Yankees at the deadline for Clark Schmidt. I don't know if you guys saw that tweet. Yeah, is not that even
0: a that good deal? I don't I don't <laughs> think so.
2: Although I yeah, that would not have been a good deal. Let's I want to transition a little bit since TJ just brought it up. Where are we at in this Mookie Acuna MVP race? I mean, I'm guessing you're on Mookie's
3: side, but do you think this thing's going to be as close as it seems from afar right now? So I, I will say this, guys, because you do have a segment later in the show called Speak Your Mind. And I may, or not, I may or may not be saving this little MVP discussion for that. So I'll, I'll leave that as a little tease for those that want to make it to the end of the show for a speaker mind segment, because I do have some things I, I would like to say, and I'd love to hear your guys' opinion on that. So I say we, we save, save the bad boy for that one at the end, because I'm looking forward to it. It's been so incredible watching Mookie,
1: though, this year, because I was clicking through a Savant page today, looking back at his 2018 season, which might be the best best modern baseball season of all time. And that includes all of Mike Trout's seasons, by the way. That 2018 Mookie season is an absolute spectacle. But this year as a hitter, he might be
3: better than he was in 2018. Right. I mean, his numbers across the board, like, honestly, I mean, they're all career highs. And essentially, I think as of right now, I don't have them in front of me. I want to say is like WRC plus his OPS plus might be like 12 or 13 points lower than what that MVP season was. But the fact that he's hitting home runs at the rate he's hitting, I mean, from a guy that's seen Mookie best face to face, this guy is tiny. Like, he is a little guy, and the fact that he's going to be able to hit 40 homers, drive in 100 war- 100 runs. If he wanted to steal more bases, he easily could. But with Mookie Betts, I think the biggest thing is the fact that he's doing this while well, being probably the most versatile player, like in all of baseball. The fact that he's playing right field, second base, shortstop. Like I-, I think it's just incredible. So yeah, the fact that Mookie Betts, who uh, you said TJ had probably one of the greatest seasons we've seen in quite some time, a couple years ago. I think I think his WAR that season was like 11. Or something like that, 10 and a half on fan graphs. Yeah, and I think, and, he, and by the I, way, you
1: were right, he was 11, he's 11 points of WRC plus off that season, 174 yeah. right now. He was at 185 in 2018, but in 2018, he was Incredible. also the best defender in baseball as well, and one of the best yeah. base runners, which is hence the you know, one of the greatest modern seasons ever. Because fan graphs, or yeah. sorry, fan graphs, baseball savant. Now, I, I saw you point this out on your Twitter page. And Lau and I talked about this on the podcast as well. Uh, really loving the new layout of baseball savant. Not yeah. just having the bubbles, but having hitting run value, fielding run value, and base running run value. And Mookie Betts was in the elite in all three in 2018. That's that's pretty difficult to do across the board.
3: Yeah, baseball savant is just like. The amount of times, I don't know if you guys do the same, when I'll just look up random players just to see what their charts look like and just see some random, you know, like I was looking up Luke Rayleigh, who was a Dodger one or two years ago, and he's like 90th percentile on all these different categories. And I'm just like, come on, man, where was this when you were a Dodger where, you know, a casual fan, they wouldn't, you know, know the difference they wouldn't know because of those advanced ones. Like my co-host, but I I love Savan. Like you said, TJ, the new features they have where it's like you're hitting value, defensive value, base running value. I mean, it's incredible. So yeah, Mookie, the fact that he's been almost as good as he was that season, uh, it it blows my mind because there were Dodgers fans that were getting very upset earlier in the year when he had an OPS of 700 about ten games into the season. So. There you go. <laughs> There's a story that doesn't
2: get talked about enough: the fact that just on a whim they said, "Hey, Mookie, can you fill in at short? Can you fill
3: in at second base?" And oh, he's just done it flawlessly. Yeah, no, he like he takes you know BP the last couple of years. He like takes BP at second base at shortstop, and you're always like, okay, it's kind of for fun. And then yeah, a couple of months ago, I forget when it when it was exactly, but pretty much Dave was something. He was talking to in his pregame scrum, and he was like, yeah. Mookie. He's going to be, cause I think he was on the paternity list and he wasn't, you know, he didn't play for a couple days and he was like, yeah, we expect Mookie back. I forget exactly how he said it, but then one of the reporters was like, wait, can we see Mookie bets at shortstop maybe? And Dave was like, well, he's getting reps there today. So we'll see how he feels tomorrow. And then Mookie was at shortstop the next day. So yeah, the dude can do everything. I mean, he bowls three hundreds. I've seen his basketball highlights. He's incredible. I wouldn't be shocked if he could be like an all-pro punt return in the NFL. So if the dude needs to play a new position, he could probably pitch for you, and he'd probably be able to give you two earned runs over six innings, and I wouldn't be surprised.
1: Well, at the end of that contract, they'll need him to do something. I don't I don't know how good he's going <laughs> to still be in the field, but usually they let the older guys pitch. So it's, that's why it's a good thing you
3: sign a, what, 12-year contract? Something like that. And I think with his deferrals, he'll be getting money in, up until like 2050. Like Bobby Bonilla Day will still be going on in twenty fifty, I'm sure. But Mookie Betts Day, when he's getting about fifteen million, that'll be uh, that'll hit different.
1: Do you think any of us can retire before he his deferrals stop?
3: Hey man, if our podcasts keep going the way they're going, maybe we can. Yeah, you bet <laughs> it. <laughs> I, I have one more thing here. We're talking about
1: Mookie so much, but. Mookie Mookie's been the best player on the Dodgers this year. The second best player in the Dodgers this year was already a hall of famer with the Atlanta Braves, Freddie Freeman. When he left Atlanta, I think he was pretty much a hall of famer at that point. If he were, if he had retired, he was almost certainly, and he's come to the Dodgers now as a free agent and he's even better. Like, is this just, is this more just Dodger like pixie dust? What What, what is he eating? Is he going to everyone for breakfast
3: every day? <laughs> I don't that, know what they're serving key? them. I don't know <laughs> what they're serving them in the clubhouse, but whatever it is, it's working because yeah, all, all the talk that Mookie Betts gets, you know, for having a career year, but Freddie Freeman, like any other season without Mookie and Acuna would be like the runaway MVP because the numbers he's putting up are crazy. I mean, I think as of right now, I want to say he's like six or seven doubles away from being like the first guy to hit 60 doubles in like 70 or 80 years. I mean, he's right there in the batting average race. I think he's a few extra base hits away from setting the Dodgers franchise record for extra base hits in a season. And I mean, there are so many great players in baseball. Again, we talked about like Julio Acuna, Juan Soto. They're all great players, but when it comes to Freddie Freeman, maybe it's because I'm able to watch him on a day-to-day basis. I think he's the best pure hitter in baseball. And I say that because he's one of the toughest outs. He can go the opposite direction. If he wants to, he doesn't look for homers, but again, if he wants to hit a homer, he can, I think he has like 25 this season it really is incredible watching him at the plate and he'll hit pitches that are so far out of the zone and it's an absolute treat and like you said tj he was already as close to a lock as you probably could be for a hall of famer when he left the braves but what he's doing with the dodgers now i kind of jokingly talked to people about this but it's kind of not becoming a joke anymore if freddie freeman kind of continues on this trend for the next couple of seasons i don't think it's that hot of a take to say when he goes into cooperstown he has the split cap on because if he has five more seasons as a Dodger, the way he's currently trending. I mean, it, it would be one of the best 10 years of a career anyone's ever had as a Dodger. So it, it's been incredible watching those two at the top of the lineup. But I think there was an article about a month ago that pretty much outlines how they're currently having like the best one-two punch season we've ever seen. So yeah, as although Mookie gets most of the love, the season Freddie Freeman's been having, it, it's just absolutely insane. And in what I think like year 11, year 12 for him, something like that
1: then the Braves replaced him with someone who's going to break their single season home run record. But, you know, that's just the Braves.
3: They cannot keep getting away with this with 1% donated to the Atlanta Braves Foundation. (laughs) No.
2: Okay, so did you think the Dodgers were going to be this good at the start of the year? Because at least from an outsider's perspective, I mean, I'd like to say I'm pretty much a baseball nut, just like TJ is, just like you are. But just looking at the Dodgers from afar, I mean, you obviously have the two table setters, and then you have Will Smith. But then you look at the rest of the roster, especially after the Gavin Lux injury, there was no point where I ever said, oh, the Dodgers are going to miss the playoffs. Did I think they were a slam dunk to win the division? No, but here we are yet again. So like, did you always keep your faith?
3: It was tough because one of the things I talked about prior to the start of the season was the fact that the Dodgers won 111 games last season. And I just, I thought it was crazy. Although they lost so many players to free agency, like you said, the Gavin Lux injury, I felt it seemed really hard to believe that this could be a team that could be 20-25 games worse than they were last year, which would still, again, have you as like a high 80-win caliber team. I did have a bull prediction prior to the season starting that the Dodgers would win 100 games that actually, at the time, sounded absolutely crazy. But I, I, I said that as a bull prediction, but in my heart, I didn't truly believe it. I thought this would be a team that could potentially win 90 games. I thought the Padres were, if I had to put money down, uh, if I had to make a bet... I would have put it on the Padres because I thought that was going to be the team that the Dodgers needed to worry about. And turns out that's not the case. The Padres are 10 games below 500. I didn't think the Dodgers would be this good. Again, I, I knew they'd make the playoffs, but I, you know, as a potential wildcard team, but I don't know. They're on pace, for, I think, win 95, 96 second best record in the National League. I wouldn't have thought that. I, I had my bold prediction, but personally, I was expecting anywhere between 87 and 90 wins so it's been crazy and i think it just goes to show that dave roberts once again is one of the more underrated managers in all of baseball i know he gets so much flack but i know i think we've talked about this in the past if i was the manager last year i think i could have managed that team to 100 wins but if you were to take bob melvin make him the dodgers manager this year and you were to make dave roberts the padres manager I, I would put a lot of money down that both those records would be completely different than they are right now. So Dave Roberts has done a hell of a job this season. And my in my opinion, I think it's been the best job he's done since coming to the Dodgers in 2016. Can they beat the Braves? <laughs> TJ in baseball, anything can happen. <laughs> hey, if if you get if you get hot over a couple game stretch, uh will they? Uh I'm leaning a little no, but that's the beauty of the postseason. We've seen it so many times. I mean we saw it in 2019 with that Nationals team. Were they the best team in baseball? No, no, they, they weren't, you know. And the team they placed in the World Series, 147 Lyle, 147, just did not work out. So, again, anything can happen in, in a series. I'm just glad that if the Dodgers face the Braves, it's going to be in the NLCS. Luckily, so at least it's a seven-game sample size, because if it was like a three-game or that five-gamer, uh, then I would really hit the chances. But, hey, anything can happen, TJ. I'm hopeful. (laughs) See,
2: with the Dodgers, it's been more of a linear progression upwards this season, where at the start of the year, you didn't know. And then, okay, April kind of plays itself out. And I think it's hard to judge a season based off what happens in April for any team. But then since then, they've kind of just hit the ground running, where from our side, I mean, talk about a freaking roller coaster of a season, because these (laughs) guys could not get above 500 to save their lives until after the All-Star break, like we were talking about a little bit ago, how, oh, when Julio got going, they finally got going. But The best metaphor I can use here, and I know TJ will double up with me on this, is they were just stuck in neutral for what felt like the entire first half of the season. They couldn't get it going. They couldn't get it going. And then finally, all of a sudden, they hit the acceleration and they took off, where you didn't have to deal with that as a Dodger fan, which (laughs) is probably nice, but... I'm happy they're at where they're at right now. But, man, it it took a long time for where we were at the start of the season where we thought, oh, this team probably has a shot to compete for the West. At the very least, they feel like a lock for a wild card spot. Didn't feel like that forever. Right now it feels a little bit more secure, but it took some time.
1: And think about this, Blake. Heading up to the trade deadline for the Mariners and for all your Dodger listeners, just some perspective. Like The Mariners are in playoff position right now. But I'm thinking trade deadline Eve. They're playing in Arizona. They've split the first two games of a three-game series with the Diamondbacks. And from everything we heard from Jerry DePoto about their strategy at the trade deadline, whether they were going to sell off the Reynolds, trade Teosca Hernandez, which was a popular and maybe get rid of Eugenio Suarez or Ty France as well. A lot of it hinged on the outcome of that third game against the Diamondbacks. If they lost, they might have gone into more of a full sell mode instead of just selling off Paul Seawald. To bring more depth in on their bench and, and get more bats in the lineup, which has turned out to be a major success. But if they had lost that third game in Arizona, they very well could have shipped away Teoscar Hernandez, traded Aonio yeah. Suarez, or Ty France, or, or pretty much anyone else on the roster they felt like was expendable and could have brought back significant return. That's how bit like that's how close and near to five hundred this team was. That it almost didn't happen if one bounce didn't go their way go their way but it ended up happening and now here the mariners sit with in playoff position with 16 games to go it's whew.
3: it from watching from my end it's crazy because i remember especially watching last year where it was like and i think even lyle was saying like they're they're kind of peaking one year too early like next year's like the year where it's kind of going to come into place and i remember thinking earlier in the year like what what the hell is going on here like this team should be better than they were last year and i remember they were struggling and then yeah, like you said, at the deadline, there was like Teoscar Hernandez rumors. And I remember, I think I even tweeted out saying, yeah, if, the, if that's the case, the Dodgers need to be all over that because I will I will gladly take him here. And then slowly, in, you know, in August, it's like you kind of check the standings every night. And it's like, OK, the Mariners are seven and a half out. And then it's kind of like, OK, they're six and a half out. And then all of a sudden, it's like, holy crap, the Mariners are in the division. And all of a sudden, like, how did this even go down? And it's crazy. And one of the things I wanted to ask you guys about this was, because last year i mean i feel like last year is always going to kind of hold a special place in your guys' hearts because like that's the first year you actually saw them make the playoffs like essentially in your lifetime but now that this year i guess there's like more expectations what is kind of like the vibes like especially now around the stadium around the fan, fan base that not only is it like okay we're kind of in the wild card hunt it's like no you're you're competing for a division like every game matters so much more because like i said for the dodgers this weekend it's like okay play three games onto the next trip. Like, I don't even know who the Dodgers are playing after the Mariners, but for you guys, it's like, no, like every game, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's like monumental. It's must win. So what, what is it like being a Mariners fan, especially with these, you know, important, cr- crucial games this late in September, which is a rarity for you guys.
2: Oh, it's nerve wracking, especially <laughs> when you look at what comes up on their schedule, because they've got the Dodgers, then they've got three against the A's and their last 10 are brutal they are all against the Rangers and the Astros all of it and and this is a team that yeah they're fighting for an AOS spot but they're also just trying to get into the playoffs period because the fight for that last wild card spot is really close between them the Rangers and the Blue Jays so these are going to be nerve-wracking games but just being around the ballpark as a whole there's been way more electricity this year I mean there's more people at games especially on weekdays in general like the weekday attendances are way up I think people are more into it now than they ever have been. People are more invested than they ever have been. And then as a result of that, when they lose people are more on edge than they've ever been, which I guess (laughs) is the price that comes with trying to be a successful ball club.
1: People, I would say online though, are as pessimistic as ever. Yeah. So, (laughs) but what else is new?
3: Classic. So yeah, it's going to be a huge series. So guys uh, looking right now, we look, we kind of talked about the pitching matchups uh, ahead of the show. We got some good ones. We, we got some good matchups. As of right now, I don't think the Dodgers have a starter listed for Sunday, I will say. I was telling this to the guys before the show. Might be Gavin Stone, might be Ryan Pepio, but what, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, guys, what do you think the key is for the Mariners in these three games to uh, you know take a lead against the Dodgers, hold the lead, come out with either a sweep or take in two out of three? What do you think the biggest thing the Mariners need to do is against the Dodgers?
1: Well, they got a pitch because when they uh, over the this past road trip since the start of September, they it's it hasn't been great. They went three and seven on the road trip, came home, took two or three against the Angels. But the the pitching was really up and down over that stretch. And there's a couple of things. The starters were not getting deep enough into games, and the bullpen was struggling because they were being overused. And now that they finally have a home off day, you hope those guys are a little bit rested. I know a lot of guys are tired here at the end of the season. But as Lyle mentioned, the, the final stretch of the season is so important that they're going to need all of these guys to be healthy and to be good to go. Because, Blake, I don't know how the Dodgers are set up, but the Mariners have no reinforcements left. There's nothing left really in the minor leagues that they can call up for a start or somebody they actually could rely upon in bullpen. Actually, there is one, Perlander barrow but we don't know why he's not on the roster right now. We couldn't tell you. Uh, he probably should be. So in the end, it it starts and ends with the Mariners pitching and then Julio Rodriguez as well. I think those would be the two things. Julio comes out and has a three-home run weekend. I'd like the the Mariners' chances.
2: I think Friday's pitching matchup is going to be really good because you've got Bobby Miller, who throws incredibly hard, does not give up a lot of hard contact, and then he's going to go against George Kirby, who fills up the strike zone, sits in the upper 90s, and he's going to be motivated after that last start where obviously he was kind of at the center of baseball last weekend for those comments he had. Where, yeah, it, it's two good pitchers that are gonna, that are going to go neck and neck here on Friday. So I think Friday's matchup is going to be a bunch of fun. I certainly wouldn't be shocked if that one's low scoring, but yeah, I think for the Mariners it's going to be what they've relied on all year. They're going to have to pitch, and the bullpen's going to have to hold it down if they want to come away with a series win. Because Dodgers can certainly hit. It's not going to be a pushover series by any stretch,
1: and and this is how they've won games all season. And Blake, these are the games that George Kirby really shines in. I mentioned it earlier. He got a ton of flack for his comments last week, but in big games at home under the lights, this dude performs. Think back to earlier in the season. Felix Hernandez is getting his number retired in center field that night against the Orioles. who have the best record in the American league. And what does George Kirby do? He goes out there and pitches the best game of his career, throws nine shutout innings on barely over a hundred pitches, the Orioles, I think, might have had two hard-hit balls all night. It was just ridiculous, the the, the performance he had on the mound. And it, and I wouldn't be shocked if we see something similar the, today when this episode comes out.
2: Uh, TJ, yeah. you're leaving out one very important piece of that start. They lost on Felix yeah, Hernandez well, night. Yes, in, in, I, in perfect <laughs> Felix Hernandez fashion, while they yeah. honored him, <laughs> put him in the Mariners' Hall of Fame, they lose one nothing in extra innings when their starter goes 9 shutout.
1: Well, yeah, sad, sad. Welcome to to Mariners fandom, Blake.
2: I I will say, (laughs) I don't know if I've ever seen Clayton Kershaw pitch live. Who's supposed to go Saturday. So I am excited for that just as a baseball fan. I was trying to think if we ever all saw him in Arizona. Maybe we did. I don't have any memory of seeing him. So I think to my knowledge, this is the first time I'll ever see him live, which will be cool.
3: Yeah, I I can't remember if we saw him in Arizona, so I will say this, if there are any Mariners fans that are listening, or even Dodgers fans that are making the trip, like, if you're going to go to any game this series, go on Saturday, just because it could be the very last time you ever see Clayton Kershaw pitch in a major league game, because... Every year, you know, he says this might be the year. I I think whenever he does retire, he's not going to do a retirement tour. He's just going to retire at the end of the offseason. And he is kind of worn out this year. And he has talked about how he really wants to be there for his family. So, like, for you, Lyle, like I said, if you're going on, especially on Saturday, uh, unless it's a a Mariners-Dodgers World Series, which I'd be down for that, this is probably going to be, in my opinion, the last time you ever get to see him pitch in person. So for those that are going to be at the game on Saturday – uh, you know, try to enjoy it, try to take it all in because if that is the case, uh, yeah, you, you you get one final chance to see one of the greatest to ever do it. It's been mostly shoulder stuff for him this year, right? I, I no one even really knows. It's been the weirdest thing because Kershaw, I want to say at the end of June, he left a start and they said it was like something shoulder related. He said he's fine, it's going to be a couple of days. Then it became a couple of weeks. Then it became after the all star break. Then it became August. And now, uh, Kershaw. He's walking guys at a higher rate than he's ever walked in his career. He had a five walk outing the other day. His velo is down, I think, three ticks now. He's only pumping 88 miles an hour. He's saying, my, my shoulder feels fine. I'm feeling all good. The Dodgers have kind of said the opposite. They've kind of said he's not 100%, but if he's able to pitch, he's going to pitch. And then they pushed him pretty much essentially a week uh, to make the start in Seattle on Saturday when Clayton Kershaw said about a week ago, I, I don't want to take time off. I want to go every fifth day. I think taking time off would make it worse. So supposedly his shoulder's fine. But when you're all of a sudden down three miles per hour in velocity and all of your pitches and a guy like Kershaw, who if he walks two in a start, that's considered a bad outing. He's walking five. Something's not right. So I guess we'll see because it's been some time since we saw him last. So uh, if you're at the game, keep an eye on the uh, radar gun. And uh, if it's anything below 90, yeah, the Mariners might uh, might be feasting if that's the case. We're going to get back to our conversation in
2: just a second. But before we do, wanted to talk to you guys about our friends at the Columbia Athletic Club. Columbia Athletic Club Juanita Bay in Kirkland is a full service family owned athletic club that's been inspiring healthier lives since 1981. Amenities include all new strength and cardio equipment, also free weights, basketball and squash courts, saltwater pools and hot tubs, along with so much more included with your membership. Our group exercise classes with the likes of yoga, Zumba, bar, group power, and cycling. The best promotions of the year start now through the fall season. Get started with a free five-day trial today at ColumbiaAthletic.com. That's ColumbiaAthletic.com. And now, back to our conversation. That actually makes for a good transition here while we're talking about Kershaw, because obviously one of the downsides for the Dodgers this year is they've taken some hits in their rotation and the news earlier or a couple weeks ago that they're not going to get Walker Buehler back this year obviously hurts because I think that was somebody they were definitely going to rely on, especially if he was healthy for the postseason. I think it's fair to say, right, that Kershaw and Bobby Miller in a playoff series would
3: start games one and two. But yeah, who in the world starting game three? That That is a great question, a, a question on every Dodger fan's mind. Uh, as of right now, it might be Ryan Pepio, because that's the state of the Dodgers rotation. The dude's made, like, four starts this year, but I don't know if I want Lance Lynn and his, uh, you know, 42 home runs he's allowed this year uh, on the mound in a career. If the Dodgers have, like, a 2-0 series lead... Maybe I'd be a little more lenient, but if it's a one-one series, or if the Dodgers for some reason are down 0-2, yeah, you cannot send Lance Lynn out there. So as of right now, if if I had to guess, it honestly might be Ryan Pepio. Which, yikes! That's why if anything happens to Clayton Kershaw, oh boy, you're sending a, a rookie and Bobby Miller out there. You're sending a rookie and Ryan Pepio, and then Lance Lynn with the highest home run rate in baseball. Uh, could get could get bad. That's a record, right? Forty-two. If it's not a record, he's getting close to it, because <laughs> good goodness gracious, that'd be my old buddy Ryan Peppio pitching in that series. Which yeah. hey, I'll
2: I'll, I'll, inst- <laughs> I'll instill my confidence in him. If you if any inside the ravine listeners, or actually any marine layer pod listeners too, want a little quick story, because I know you guys had Pepeo on the show earlier in the in the year. I'm not going to go full Josh here and tell a uh, novel the Cape <laughs> League story. I was
1: About to say, but Lyle's going to do his best uh, best to replace Sparkles Josh on this episode right here. So, not go gonna ahead, do Doc. a
2: full Josh story, but I was also in the Cape League and not with Josh, different team. Ryan Pepe was with the team that I broadcasted games for. And we got to know each other pretty well over that summer. And then I ran into him too, like a year later, where we got to catch up for, I don't know, half hour or so. It was at a hockey game. And this will be the first time I've seen him in, yeah, like three or four years. So I'm excited to see him pitch. I'm I'm excited to see him just in person general, in general. But yeah, kind of kind of an old funny story. Like Pepio and I know each other. And, and if he's pitching in the playoffs for the Dodgers, I'll be excited to watch him.
3: Yeah. When we talked to Pepio, but we were just, you know, shooting it before we actually hit record. And I I brought it to him. I was like, Hey, you might know like one of our friends. And he's like, Oh yeah. And he's like, yeah, he was in Hyenas when you were there. And he, he goes, Who was it? And I was like, Oh, yeah, our buddy's Lyle. And he goes, Oh, you know Lyle Goldstein? And we were like, Oh, yeah. And he's like, Oh, yeah, that kid was awesome. And then he brought up the whole thing like, Yeah, last time I saw him was at a hockey game. I guess we were sitting in the same section. Yeah. So Ryan Pepio, good guy. He remembers Lyle. So there you go, Mariners fans. Root for Ryan Pepio to shove because he's a good guy. <laughs>
2: he can, <laughs> he, he can he, shove, and then the Mariners can win like 2 nothing or something. I
3: don't there know. You late go. In the game.
1: <laughs> there you go. Is Bobby Miller the only thing that's really gone right in the Dodgers rotation this year? Because on top of all of this injury news, then you have the Julio Urias story come out and he might not pitch in baseball again. Like, yeah, talk about stacking on things that could possibly go wrong with one single rotation. Oh, by the way, and still maybe 100 games like it's pretty crazy.
3: Yeah, there might be a KBO team that has uh, two former Dodgers pitchers in the rotation next year. So stay tuned for that. But yeah, Bobby Miller, I mean, he's probably like without Bobby Miller, I don't know where the Dodgers rotation would be because this was a guy that they were expecting to contribute maybe in the second half at some point, but they called on him early and he's been, you know, you look at his numbers and he's not going to win rookie of the year or anything like that. They're probably not going to blow you away, but for a guy that didn't have much play level, like, those are numbers that are, are really, really good. So, yeah, Bobby Miller, if if he didn't have the season he's been having, boy, I, I couldn't tell you where the Dodgers starting rotation would be at this point because they would not be in a good spot. I think this is a pretty good transition
1: because the guy we'll talk about next is not going to pitch in a rotation next year. But in 2025, whether he still be under contract, he very well may be good enough to go in a major league rotation. I believe this podcast represents the two favorites in the Shohei yes. Otani sweepstakes. <laughs> now, again, he's not gonna pitch next year. He's gonna get Tommy John in the offseason. We like, I don't know what Shohei's up to now. He's just sat out the entire Mariners Angels series and ruined our entire plan to court him to Seattle that series. So, so upset. we're gonna make we're gonna make up for some lost time by having yet another conversation <laughs> about him here on this this crossover episode. So Blake, I mean, where where are you sitting on this whole Shohei discussion? Like, how, how is it going over in Dodgerland right now?
3: Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up because, yeah, this is one of the talking points that I wanted us to get to during the show because I also agree. I mean, for me, I mean, nobody knows what the heck's going on in this guy's head. But as of right now, I, I think it's between two teams. I know that there was that athletic report, I think, about a week ago that said, oh, he will not he mind playing on the East Coast. He just wants to play for a winner. I still don't buy that. I still think he wants to stay on the West coast. And I think it still is those teams that he was interested in, you know, five or six years ago. And I think it's down to the Dodgers and Mariners at that point, whatever his preference is, that'll be that. But yeah, this whole injury kind of made things a little more interesting because all of a sudden now he might not be pitching in 2024. It might not be until 2025, the Dodgers, they can afford anyone. They can afford to give him whatever that he wants. If he wants a blank check, Andrew Friedman will say, here you go. So I do think their their chances took a bit of a hit just because I don't think they'd be willing to. I wouldn't be shocked if the Dodgers try to pull what they did with Bryce Harper when I think they offered him, I want to say, it was like a four-year, $180 million contract. I wouldn't be shocked if they pitched that to Shohei and said, here's four for one eighty. We'll have an opt out after like 2025 or 2026 if you want to opt out and test the waters again. So maybe they go that direction. But yeah, I, I still think the Dodgers are in it. I, I think they they want him badly in the middle of that in the middle of that lineup. But then on the on the mound and every Dodgers fan, they they want him bad. I haven't quite seen the level of commitment that Mariners fans have uh, pulled out yet for him just yet. Mainly because Dodgers fans might be a little selfish and just assume that he's going to be coming. So we might have to uh, get to work uh, in the offseason. But yeah, I think, again, it, I don't know what Shohei's thinking, but obviously you have the whole Seattle thing where I think what I heard he like lives there in the offseason, something like that. Uh, they were one of the favorites to sign him. Is that is that true that he lives there in the offseason? So I don't think he lives there, but he does train at driveline all
2: offseason. He spends a lot okay. of time in Seattle in the offseason. So okay. he's certainly familiar with the area. And his translator apparently grew up a Mariners fan. And I think his translator is one of his closest friends. So, yeah. uh, you know, combined with all the chance that happened at the All-Star game. And obviously he said he was pretty blown away and appreciative of yeah. all that stuff. So, like, there, there's reasons to believe that they could be linked there, not to mention the fact that they were essentially the runner-up the first time. Just behind the Angels, so like, there's a lot of Mariners fans out there that just say, "Oh, they're not going to sign them. It's not going to happen. Ownership won't won't spend the money. Like, don't even put the idea in your head." I'm kind of like, "Yeah, I I I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far." Do I think they're a favorite over the Dodgers? No. Do I think they have a shot? I 100 percent do. I'm wearing the perfect shirt for this podcast. By the way, (laughs) I come to Seattle. I figured it was it was perfect. I got it this week, but um, but yeah, I think there's a shot.
3: Yeah, I I'd go like right now. I think it's like. I want to say 60-40 in favor of the Dodgers, just barely. Just because, again, I clearly he was interested in the Mariners the first time around. And if the Mariners can show that they're capable of winning this postseason especially, which kind of sucks for the Mariners, it's like the Dodgers have already proven they could win. Like, they could get bounced in the NLDS, and it's like, okay, they're still winners. But if the Mariners, like, just go on a run, make it to the World Series, then they can just go to Shohei and be like, hey, Shohei, we made it to the World Series. We came up just short. Guess who that missing the missing the missing piece could be? It could be you. So the, it like it's it's a big postseason run for the Mariners, I think, because of that as well. The biggest thing that they
1: can pitch him to different, differentiate themselves from the Dodgers is to, to say, like, the Dodgers have made the playoffs now oh, every year for over a decade and deep runs, elite rosters, unlimited pockets. They will win with him. They will win without him. But Jerry Depoto and John Stanton go to Shohei Otani and say, Hey, listen, see, there's no World Series banners up there. But you go win one and you're immortalized. You will, you know, I don't think this is a hot take. You will overtake all of the other franchise legends this franchise has had. You will become the guy in the city that, like, it'll be bigger than the Seahawks winning a championship. I guarantee that. Like, I, I don't know. I don't think that's a hot take to you, Lyle, no. either. If they if they win a World Series with because of Shohei Otani, like, it, it will be the biggest moment in Seattle sports history and it's you have the option here Shohei to stamp your name on that and be one of the catalysts behind it
2: junior will always be junior but if Shohei comes to Seattle and wins a world series going forward for the rest of time I mean when people think about the Mariners legends the two guys that are going to pop into their heads it's going to be Shohei and it's going to be Julio because they'll have changed baseball in this city by bringing up the first world title. Not that Shohei won't be forever loved in L.A. if he goes and wins a couple of titles there, but it's like to your yeah. point where the Dodgers have won World Series and historically are a very successful franchise, the Mariners aren't. So that, like you said, that is a sales pitch that they can make.
1: My only yeah. drawback with the the Shohei Otani Osta- sweepstakes and worry of the Mariners' ability to sign him is that The Mariners are not really a team that gets in bidding wars. And Shohei Otani is the type of player that would require a bidding war. I think it's been well-documented that people aren't sure if he's going to take the highest number. And he might not. But if it does come down to a bidding war, the problem is we don't think the Mariners would engage in in a bidding war that would just go way over the price. The Dodgers, as you mentioned, would have no issue with that. They would do whatever is necessary to sign him uh, the Mariners would pay market rate which is very high for Shohei but yeah. perhaps if he's looking for the highest number wouldn't be the wouldn't be as high as he wants
2: here here's my yeah. quick take on that before we turn it back over to Blake cuz my opinion on that differs a little bit usually they don't get in bidding wars for him i think they might change their philosophy a little bit cuz he is so different than any other free agent ever i think with him they may change their philosophy cuz the contract will pay for itself
3: my, my thing with Shohei, and I, I don't know if this is a hot take for him. I don't think it's going to come down to who the highest bidder is going to be. I think right now, Shohei has a preference. What that is, I, I don't think any of us actually know. Whether it's, again, the reason I, th- I, th- I like the Dodgers so much is just because I don't know where he lives, but he doesn't have to move. So, mm-hmm. is his preference staying there? Is his preference, again, like what you pitched about, all the things Seattle has to offer? I don't think... I mean, maybe it does, but I don't think 600 million makes any difference compared to like let's like let's say the Mets and Steve Cohen opens up his wall and says here's 600 million, which he's probably gonna do for Shohei. I don't think that makes any difference, and then if the Mariners offer 400 million, I think if he wants to go to the Mariners, he'll gladly take his 400 million. He might ask for about five percent ownership in the team if that's the case, but I, I I don't think money is gonna be what what gets it done for Shohei. I think whatever his top priority is. That's going to be what gets it done. And again, he'll still sign a massive contract, but I don't think at the end of the day, it's just going to be who can offer him the most. It's just going to be what, what teams does he want to go and what can they present him the best, which again, I I think it's the Dodgers Mariners. I think those are the only two. I, I see no chance in hell. He goes back to the Angels. There's just absolutely no way. And I, I again, I just can't imagine the Padres being able to afford it. And I, I can't imagine him going to like the team, like the Cubs or, you know, some of those other ones. So, yeah, we don't know. Nobody knows what Shohei's thinking, but it just seems like Dodgers Mariners. Those are like the two only realistic scenarios in this situation. I have- like, What do you think his contract looks like? It's, it's just tough now because of this whole pitching arm injury. Before that, I would have been fine with anything. I would have been fine with 10 years, 60 million, 12 years, or 10 years, 600 million, 60 million a year. Right now, again, it just depends on what he's willing to do. I think, I still think he gets at least 400, 400 million. It's just a matter of, is a is team willing? Just because, again, I, I do understand, like, you know, you talked about, you don't need to pitch next year. You do have to take into account what if for some reason he comes back in 2025 and he's just not that great of a pitcher anymore. That's a lot of money for a guy that only DHs. So I would be a little hesitant. But then at the end of the day, none of it's my money. And if you can get two or three prime years of show, hey, I'm all for it. So I think he still surpasses 400 million. I just I don't think he's going to get that 600 number that I, I think we were all expecting him to still get. I have one
2: terrifying thought to put into everybody's heads as Blake was just rattling off teams he could or could not go to. If he were to go anywhere on the East Coast, I don't think it's the state of New York. I This might be a hot take, but if he was going to go anywhere on the East Coast what if it was the braves my goodness
3: no no lyle i s- do not speak this into existence i do not need the jeff Passon tweet that shohei otani has agreed to a 14-year 140 million dollar contract <laughs> with the atlanta braves with one percent going to the atlanta braves foundation i do not need this they they did it with Ronald Lacunha jr which we said that day like five years ago what is he doing they did it with aussie albies they did it with all these guys no no, if, if if Shohei Otani goes to the Braves and it's anything under 500 million, there needs to be a, an MLB investigation. There needs to be some book and movie rights deal. Mike Rizemba needs to make a video on this because <laughs> then there is something going on behind the scenes and under the table that we do not know about that needs to be exposed. So I think that's your nightmare, Blake.
1: I think a nightmare on our side, which I think this team will be bidding for him is if he goes to the Texas Rangers, yeah, they're rough. gonna open their checkbook and sign him. They like they're gonna they're gonna offer him something. They're gonna offer him a good chunk of change. They were not hesitant to sign yeah. both Marcus Simeon and Corey Seeger in one offseason. And they've said before they like spending money and they're very willing to go out and sign free agents to make their roster better. That sounds like a that would be an absolute worst case disaster scenario for the Mariners front office for Mariners fans for everything because that's the one team i just think you he absolutely cannot sign with i
2: I just don't know how much more money the rangers can possibly spend though because after they paid Semyon and Seeger and spent all of the money on the pitchers this past winter like how much more do they have before they go way over the luxury tax
1: as you mentioned it pays
2: for itself it does pay for itself i'm just god i just have now that image (laughs) just burned into my head of how the braves all these years have been handing out these team friendly contracts and what if behind closed doors it was all like a ploy to get Shohei to sign some mega deal and just complete that team which would be a nightmare for really all of baseball
1: yeah and so they've just won now their sixth straight (laughs) uh sixth straight National League East title and most of their core is not even halfway through their contracts it's crazy
3: this is no it's it's like the Jesse Pinkman thing he can't keep getting away with this because like every contract it's just like no like, yeah, I, I no, no, uh, I don't no get it.
2: Okay, I think we've got two segments here to do before we wrap this thing up, and yeah. and this is something out of our book and and from our world, which Blake wanted to stay on for, so he said yes, yeah, stay on. These are these are two fun segments that TJ and I do at the end of all our Friday shows, at least during the season. It's our Friday shows, where. The first thing we do, we'll present it here, is we give out what we call a Russell Wilson Umpire of the Week. Now, Dodger fans might be sitting there thinking, what in the world does that mean? So, we give out an award to an umpire who just infamously messes up over the course of a week in games. Now, it could be one of three things. You're not seeing over the middle. You're not letting plays develop. Or you're just downright insufferable, which probably has to do with (laughs) ejections or things of that sort. Three things that... Russell Wilson seems to kind of fit the mold of, and if you're a Dodger fan listening to this, you're probably thinking to yourself, "Oh, this is a little bit petty." And our answer to that would be, "It is." Yet here, hey, we how's are... that trade?
3: How's that trade working out for you guys? <laughs>
2: oh, it's been unreal, <laughs> just absolutely unreal. So that's the namesake behind the award. And TJ said this week there was one guy that he just had to hand the award to.
1: Yeah, Bill Miller, congratulations. It was last week's Pirates-Braves game. What day was this? It was last Sunday. So overall, it wasn't a bad game for Bill Miller, but he's on here to a quote he had. Cabrian Hayes, who had, it was a 3-1 count on him, and there was a pitch called outside by six inches. Called a strike on a 3-1 count, and the count goes back to 3-2. So Cabrian Hayes, after this, goes on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, and said and said this. Some umpires really don't care. 3-1 call, not even close. I hold him accountable after the game, walking off the field, and his response is, shrug shoulders, I gave you a chance to hit a home run. That tells me you don't care at all. No accountability. Bring the ABS, please, at MLB. This is a man that we respect. Standing up to the accountability of umpires.
2: Unreal. I, like, what is going on? So so he fits the qual- the qualifications here of right. He doesn't see over the middle for sure. And then he was insufferable. So he hits two of the three boxes 100%. Which, what is that quote? I gave you a chance to hit a home run? Like,
1: when? <laughs> like, dude, you messed up. Say, sorry, bud. I missed a call. Won't happen again. It's like, no, actually, that's your problem that I missed a call. <laughs> Unreal. They should, you know, we talk about relegation in sports, like the Premier League. There should actually be a relegation system for umpires, you know? Yes. Like, need some incentive for guys like Angel Hernandez not to suck.
2: Well, I was going to say, maybe this is, maybe Angel Hernandez was relegated for two-thirds of the season, because he (laughs) just wasn't umping games almost all year. Maybe that was their little way of punishing him.
1: You say that, but C.B. Buckner is still alive and well. Yeah, he is.
2: Blake, did you have one you wanted to bring in too? I know you
3: said there was a couple this week that kind of grinded your gears. So there, yeah, there were a couple of bad calls. I didn't have too much time to go too in depth on these guys. So I actually wanted to poise this to you guys. And here's my, I don't know if you guys have talked about this on the show before, but I know we talk about, you know, the automated strike zone and how we need that yesterday uh, when it comes to major league baseball. But unfortunately, Rob Manfred is just dumb. And that's probably not going to happen anytime soon. I want to get your thoughts on this. What if, although we don't implement that just yet, we keep the umpires, unfortunately, but every manager gets, gets a challenge. Just like you get a normal challenge if you win your challenge. Bad call, you can use your challenge. It should be like a 10-second review because you have the technology to see it. You get it right, you keep your call, and you can use it as many times as you want until there's one that you get wrong. With us not getting the actual, you know, again, automated strikes on anytime soon... Would you guys be in favor of that? Every manager gets to challenge a call and essentially just keep it until you eventually mess one up and you get it wrong and then you lose it for the game?
1: I think the challenge system's the best system. They use it in AAA, and I think every team gets three challenges. So I think it's the perfect amount if you get a challenge right. I believe you keep your challenge, so you don't have to worry about that. But it's like it's super quick. They just look upstairs, yeah. correct? Yes, no? Okay, done. But yeah. it also is easier because it allows the umpires to continue doing their job behind home plate and stay engaged in the game and not if like oh the system is offline for some reason oh yeah by the way you gotta ump a game and you haven't like really been paying attention because you've just been listening in your ear so i think that's honestly the best system i think it's the best of both worlds and you get a mix of what umpires want and what the public wants, which is the only way this actually gets done, because the umpires have a union that you need to get to agree to all of this.
2: I've been to a couple of A games this year, and the way they formatted it is half the week on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they use the automated strike zone. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they've been using the challenge system. I was at a game where they were using the challenge system. I thought it was awesome because essentially a guy like taps his helmet and or points his finger in the air saying he wants to challenge a call. And then they go up to the video board and they do the replay almost the way they do in tennis, where if a player challenges a line call, they'll go. They'll go to the technology and it shows exactly where the ball hits and it takes just a few seconds. And that's what they do with these minor league games, too. And I saw it. I was like, this is pretty flawless. You could you could implement this in the majors right now. In fact, they had it at the Futures game during the Futures game. When we saw it in Seattle this year, we were like, so it's in big league ballparks. Like, just do it right now. Like, yeah, I'm all for the challenge system.
3: Yeah, so that's my thing. I, I I didn't want to single out a single umpire because there's actually been a couple this week, but I, I wanted to bring that up because I'm, I'm in favor of that because I still think I, I do like having the human element of an umpire actually behind home plate, but g- give a couple challenges because, again, there are some just egregious calls that just are, my God, like, what are we doing here, Angel Hernandez? Yeah.
1: Yeah, they're they're pretty bad, and there, there's some umpires that have been highlighted quite a few times on our segment that I think are going to make our Mount Rushmore at the end of the year. We might have to, Lyle, go back in and figure. I I wish we had a better way of keep keep track of it, so we don't actually have to re listen to every single episode we did, but. I was going to say, I keep all my notes. I could probably just
2: go back and and look at the notes we had to see how many times each guy's received it. I was going to say, that's one thing we didn't do a good job of this year is we should have been keeping track of how many times we gave each umpire the award. But I think that's going to be an off-season <laughs> project to actually go back and say, okay, he got it this many times versus umpire X got it this many times. Yeah, because next year we're going to be keeping track of this.
1: Yeah, we need a winner. We need a gold. We need a gold <laughs> yes. medal for worst umpire <laughs> of the year. Via the Marine Layer podcast. So that's fun. Okay, let, Blake, let's get to to our last segment that we like to do on our shows. And let's get to speak your mind.
3: Speak your mind, Spock.
0: That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise.
1: So for all the Inside the Ravine listeners, speak your mind is not necessarily baseball related. You can talk about pretty much whatever you want to do a well, lot and I came up with this segment as a reason to talk about other things that we find interesting throughout the week in pop culture and other sports and r- food and movies and really whatever. So the floor is really open. Blake,
3: do you have anything to uh, speak your mind about? So this one was hard. When you guys texted me about this, I asked my girlfriend, I was like, what can I potentially do here? And between the two of us, we couldn't think of anything. I did think of one potential thing. But uh, it involves a certain music artist that is currently just all over the place right now touring that everyone is obsessed with. And I just wanted to maybe talk about that. But then she brought up, maybe you have uh, listeners that are huge fans. You don't want to really tick them off. So Oh, we've (laughs) talked about that on Speak Your Mind. So maybe I wanted to... uh, pump the brakes just a little and hold that one back because again I I don't want to upset any listeners out there who may be fans of a certain someone so I'll let you know she in, might I'll be uh, you...
1: casually hanging out with an NFL tight end. Yeah, she
3: <laughs> supposedly which hey,
1: they have each other's phone numbers.
3: Ooh. Uh said NFL tight end. Please get help. Like get out of there. <laughs> unless you unless you want an album dropped in 2026. Uh, get out of there. So I, I will refrain from that one. I, I will keep it in baseball. I kind of hinted and teased this earlier when it comes to this because I I wanted to speak my mind to Mariners fans about the MVP race going on in the National League. Again, in, in the American League, it's probably going to be Shohei, but Corey Seager. You can make the case for Julio Rodriguez. You can make the case for they're all having great seasons. I don't know what I don't know where you guys stand on this, but I I cannot believe that we are in 2023, and we are using stolen bases as the metric as to why a player should win most valuable player. I get it. It hasn't been done in ever what he, Ronald Acuna is doing, but do you guys remember, you may have to go back a bit. Do you guys remember this with this off season when they made the bases larger? Do you guys remember when they made it easier to steal bases? Cause I sure do. They made it easier to steal bases. As you can see across baseball, when you look at all of the numbers across the board, Mookie bets, clears and home runs, WRC plus OPS, war all the main categories now ronald acuna does have a higher batting average guys his batting average is higher so i know the old school voters they might really like that but between all of the numbers i talk about for mookie bets tj we talked about earlier baseball savant how they have these advanced metrics Well, you look at the advanced metrics batting run value both mookie and acuna 100th percentile they're both really good base running value uh, uh, TJ, you might have looked it up. Lyle, I know you're great when it comes to trivia. We'd like to take a guess as to where Mookie and Acuna both uh, come out in the percentile rankings when it comes to base running value.
2: I don't know how much time I've dug into this data. Are they one and two?
3: They are not one and two. They're actually uh, far off from being one and two. I'll say
1: Mookie's pretty average this year on the base paths. According to So that. they're
3: like toward the bottom of the league, it sounds like. As of right now... Uh, towards the end of the season, both Mookie and Ronald Acuna are 57th percentile when it comes to base running value. So although Ronald Acuna has so many stolen bases, they are providing equal value uh, when it comes to their base running value. Then when you look at fielding value, Mookie Betts is at 44. Ronald Acuna is at 29, because like I mentioned, Mookie Betts, he's playing goal glove defense in right field. He's playing goal glove defense at second base, and he's playing goal glove defense at shortstop. I don't know how you can look at all these things presented and say that Ronald Acuna deserves to win MVP. I mean, at what point are we saying stolen bases is the reason a guy should win MVP? Because if that's the case, D Gordon deserved a lot of more MVP votes uh, about six or seven years ago when he was playing for the Dodgers. He deserved a lot more. So I wanted to speak my mind because, again, home runs, OPS+, WRC+, OPS, everything, except batting average. Don't, I will, Acuna has the batting average. I don't know how you can uh, say Mookie Betts is not the MVP.
1: I'm glad you brought it up, like it and and laid it out. Like I was a I was an Acuna MVP guy, and I still think he's going to win it because he plays on the best team in the National League. Yeah, he's gotten the most press this year, uh, and the Braves. Li- he leads the a Braves lineup, which might be one of what the ten best lineups ever. Yeah. Is that is that a hot take? Like that's a pretty impressive feat, right there but what mookie betts is doing on an individual basis is more impressive. I do think it's funny when we compare the two base running and fielding wise cuz we generally think of them as great athletes. They're fast and they're versatile. And then baseball savant's like, <laughs> yeah, I don't think <laughs> no, so. <you> know. <laughs> 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 it,
2: it's funny. I could have been swoy- I could have been swayed either way on this and that's what I was going to say at the end of your um little explanation there but I think he sold me on the MVP thing because again I was kind we've been meaning to talk about this on one of our MLB wraparound segments on our podcast which is another segment we often do but we'd had other things to talk about so it kept getting pushed down the road a little bit and now we've essentially uncovered it here yeah I think you made a pretty good sales pitch for Mookie Betts I mean I would have guessed it was going to be Acuna and maybe it still will be at the end of the year but when you lay out the numbers it is Mookie's and Mookie yeah. probably means more to the Dodgers than Acuna means to the Braves. And that's probably that's probably a toss up just because they're both so good. But because the Braves offense is so lethal that they could probably sustain losing Acuna if they had to, where I don't think the Dodgers could sustain losing Mookie bets in that lineup.
3: Hey, the Braves did win a World Series without Ronald Acuna. <laughs> they did. So there yeah, there you what, go. Adam there's Duval in center field. Yeah, all that stuff. I, quick thing for you guys, though. Let's just say you're given an MVP vote right now. What are the three things? Like, you could only look at three things for a player's resume. What three things would you guys choose to look at? Like three I, stats? Yeah, like three. It could, it could be any stat out there. I think for me, it'd be War, WRC+,
2: Out's Above Average.
1: Yeah, I would agree with the... F- yeah, it's pro- it's probably those three. It's just not perfect like those those stats yeah. aren't perfect like outs above average isn't a perfect defensive stats defensive stats are just so hard to to value because there's not a j- enormous sample you get what three uh, like an outfielder gets three maybe three attempts a game maybe on defense yeah. mm-hmm. depending on the day and every every situation is different so that's kind of hard to judge but I, I would say those three yeah
3: yeah, I, I, I agree with the first two. And then, yes, yeah, some sort of defensive metric or something like that, I, I think easily taken a look at as well. So my speak your mind this
1: week, not baseball related. I do have to say, though, after watching Monday Night Football, guys, the NFL script writers could not have done a better job <laughs> kicking off this 2023 season. I mean, let's give a round of applause to the script writers of the NFL. I mean, so the good. league just keeps <laughs> on delivering these storylines for us.
2: Is that not the most New York Jets thing ever? Where after months and months of buzz and hype around their new quarterback, they're they might look back one day and say, "Hey, remember that time we had Aaron Rodgers on our team for four <laughs> plays and then he retired?"
3: Gosh. It's so Ooh. good, the script. What do you think Aaron Rodgers thought though when he uh sat down in, you know, July or so and he opened up the script and he goes to page 1 of the Jets 2023 season? And he sees what's at the top of the page. Do you think he was in favor of that?
1: Well, I don't know what startled him more. The fact that he was going to get injured to start the season or the fact he had to open on 9-11. Because we know what he thinks about that. And the fact that he had had to lead out of the tunnel with the American flag. And I'm just sitting here thinking it's like, man, I would just kill to wonder what's
3: going through his head right now. (laughs) He's probably thinking about his next dart retreat.
1: When well, he, he had a darkness a retreat into the blue into the blue tent four plays into the he game.
2: <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Now he's got a whole off season of darkness retreats to get to. I guess that that's just unreal. That now, just after all that, they're going right back to Zach Wilson. Incredible. Who is like who? So
1: bad. He's just so atrocious. I I cannot believe he's like they had to keep him. He's second overall pick, but that dude sucks. I'm not afraid to say that dude sucks at football.
2: I mean, maybe he can get like 1% better with Aaron Rodgers mentoring him. I don't know. Tom so, Brady has the chance to do better. the
3: funniest thing ever. Yeah, he does. That's I, that's all I'm saying.
1: And I do feel kind of bad for Jets fans, which is kind of shocking coming from Seahawks fans because like for those listening from L.A. still. The like mayors uh, the the Seahawks and Jets like fan bases haven't exactly been friends <laughs> over the last few seasons, especially <laughs> since that Jamal Adams trade. And there's been a lot of a lot of a lot of jabs on each side. And the Seahawks, of course, over that same span, have just kicked the shit out of the Jets when they played them, which is even better. <laughs> but the Jets actually have a great roster this year, and probably could have been a very good contender in the AFC, but not without not with Zach Wilson under center.
2: Yeah, it basically stems from the Jamal trade and then all the Tariq Woolen versus Sauce Gardner comparisons. That's just what stems all the fights on Twitter. But yeah, what a world we live in just week one and, and they're already right at it. Okay, I have two quick ones for Speak Your Mind this week. The first is, so I told Blake before we started this show, just to give him an idea of what gets brought up on these segments. The three things that get brought up the most seem to be Skip Bayless, Elon destroying Twitter, and NBA drama. Well, I've got a Skip topic here this week because Shannon Sharp is just a week or two into his new gig at ESPN, and I cannot stop laughing at how he keeps messing up names on air where he thinks he's still talking to Skip Bayless, and the second time it happened just had me dying. the, (laughs) The first time he did it, he said, Skip, he's like, oh, my bad, Stephen A. The second time, which was just a couple days ago, he's like... Here's the thing, Skip. And then he goes, no, 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 it's Stephen A. It's like, it's Stephen A. And then he's just like freaking out on there, And he's just losing it. And Stephen A's like, it's all right, man. It's like, it was seven years. I get it. And and he's like, don't listen to all those Twitter trolls. Meaning Shannon Sharp definitely saw everybody that was tweeting at him saying Skip can't get out of his head. Honestly, the way Skip is living rent-free in Shannon's head probably is the way Skip would love to be going to bed and dreaming about being in LeBron's head. (laughs)
3: Yeah. <laughs> hey LeBron it's 3 4 a.m. I'm getting ready to hit the treadmill you up you up LeBron <laughs> you up I saw you got swept
1: in the Western Conference finals last year LeBron a true champion like Michael Jordan would be up right now getting up jump shots in the gym making sure that never happens again
2: yeah he gets so brought up good. a lot on these segments the second one TJ this is perfect for our coffee banter Do you see this? Do you guys see this TikTok about this pumpkin spice latte at
1: Dunkin? Yes, I sent that to my girlfriend. What the one that has 158 grams of sugar in it?
2: I think it was 185. So, and then they compared it, where they said it was 46 teaspoons of sugar, which filled up nearly a full cup of sugar in like a measuring cup and one of those glass measuring cups. Not to mention that they said there's no actual pumpkin in the drink; it's just all artificial. I'm looking at that thing saying. How could how could somebody buy this like how could somebody possibly spend their money
1: on that as someone who spent an entire summer as loud knows buying a large cookies and cream iced coffee every single day. I don't know if I have much say in the subject besides the fact Dunkin Donuts is amazing.
3: You got anything on yeah. that, Blake? You saw this? No, but I I saw that. I sent that to my girlfriend because she, she loves Duncan. We we have one like in Pasadena about 15 minutes from here. She doesn't have it too often, but whenever she does, it's a treat. But even she was like, what, what person in their right mind that has any sort of just anything going on in their life would want that? Like, I think also in the video it said it was like the equivalent of 14 like glazed donuts. <laughs> just like nervous. what? Yeah, it's like yeah. at that point, I'd rather just eat
1: like all the donuts.
2: Yeah, because you can or just get a normal thing.
3: coffee, like a normal yeah. person. I mean, you would <laughs> With drink pumpkin.
2: That yeah, you would drink that thing so fast, too. You could probably finish that coffee in like two minutes. And then all of a sudden you just put 185 grams of sugar in your body in this course of 120 seconds, which what a ratio, man. Yeah, that's, that's what I had on speak. Speak your mind this week. Yeah, we always enjoy doing this because sometimes fun things and especially funny topics can get brought up. So, yeah, it was fun. The three of us could do this one.
3: Yeah, no, that was that was fun. But guys, I mean, we could we could do this for hours and hours. But unfortunately, you know, we only have so much time. I will say before we wrap things up, uh, question number one, what's your guys series serious prediction for the weekend? And number two, where can Dodgers fans listening find you guys on social media? And I will say Dodgers fans, although you might not be a Mariners fan, you do have a reason to give these guys a follow because they are doing something very unique that other podcasts don't. So I'll let you guys take that off as well. So prediction for the series, I'm going to say the Mariners, uh, based on how the pitching's
1: gone, I'm going to say the Mariners probably dropped two of three in the series. But I think there's going to be a lot of runs scored in this series. This Friday night, I think, will be very telling to how the rest of the series goes. Uh, Lyle, I'll let you go give a prediction here.
2: I think the Mariners probably have the advantage Sunday with Logan going. The Dodgers probably have the advantage Saturday with Kershaw, and Friday's going to be pretty even, at least on paper, that's how it looks to me. I would guess the Dodgers get two of three too. I hope I'm wrong on that, but objectively that'd be my prediction. And yeah, in terms of finding us on social media, we're, we're everywhere. We're on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube and YouTube shorts, Twitter. And we have been fortunate enough. We've only been doing this podcast like eight or nine months now, but we've been fortunate enough to get media access and credentials. We do all these fun questions with players on the field. We talk to fans. We do all this. We do more than just podcasting. We've tried to kind of grow it out that way since we started this thing and yeah if you guys are interested to hear players talk about their celebrity doppelgangers or building a starting five of a basketball roster or mariners teammates or things along those lines yeah feel free to check us out and give us a follow
1: oh Although, sorry by the way <laughs> all the way by the way at marine layer pod yeah you beat Get me to it, it. <laughs> there we go
3: at marine layer pod yeah. Don't let the Mariners thing fool you. Cause again, if, if you like baseball stuff, definitely follow them. I'm blown away. You guys said the Dodgers are going to win the series. I was going to say, I'm thinking it's a Mariners sweep or maybe Mariners two out of three, just because I feel like it's going to be rocking there. The Mariners got more to play for Dodgers might be kind of just cruising, you know, wanting to get through the series. I got to feel like the Mariners are going to go to work, but then again, who, who knows? I wouldn't be shocked with either outcome, but I, I think it's going to be a fun series. And again, I hope that the stadium's rocking. I a you know, I hope the Dodgers do well, but at this point, since the division is locked up, I do hope the Mariners can take advantage and help their playoff push with the weekend series. Because I will feel kind of bad if the Dodgers come in and they sweep you guys, and then on Tuesday you guys are like three games out of like the wild card. All of a sudden, I will feel a little bit bad. I'll feel better if you guys are two games up a week from now, but hopefully that's not the case. Yeah, that'll make our podcast next week a little bit stressful, Blake. <laughs> just, just maybe a tad each. Just a little bit just maybe a tad. But uh, hey, maybe this isn't the last time we guys talk. You know, we talk to you guys. Maybe we can get Josh on for a World Series preview, hopefully in October. But again, you guys can find them at Marine Lair Pod. And if there's any Mariners fans listening that want to uh, follow a Dodgers fan, I don't recommend it because man, do we tweet doomsday scenarios. But you guys can find me on Twitter at Blake H Harris. Just let me know what you thought of the show. You don't have to follow me. Uh, but if Colton Wong goes deep this weekend, guys, I will be tweeting obnoxiously about how fantastic of a baseball player he is, and I will be letting every Mariners fan I know that Colton Wong is an all-star caliber player. Yeah, I wonder if he's going to get booed if he hits
1: a home run. I'm very curious to see.
3: He might. (laughs) He just might. He's. (laughs) I don't understand how the Dodgers do this. Like, it's every player. Every player that they touch turns to gold. So who knows? Maybe Colton Wong gets his uh, homecoming this weekend in Seattle. But this was a lot of fun, guys. Again, make sure to follow them wherever you guys get your podcasts. Follow Inside the Ravine wherever you guys get your podcasts. I'll wrap this up as we do every week, as what Vince Scully used to say. For TJ, Lyle, this has been Blake Harris. The three of us hope you guys enjoyed the rest of your week, wherever you may be.
2: We had a blast doing that episode with Blake. If you guys want to ever check out a Dodgers podcast, make sure to go check out all their stuff at Inside the Ravine, wherever you get your podcasts and wherever you are on social media as well. We had a blast talking with them and I think it's going to be a fun series this weekend. It's two really good teams and it should shape up for three really fun games. That'll just about wrap up this edition of the Marine Layer podcast. You guys know the drill. You want to listen to the full form podcast, you can do so on Apple, Spotify, Google and Amazon. If you do that, Make sure to follow us, download our episodes, and leave us that five-star review, the reviews and the downloads. Only take a couple extra seconds, and we can't stress it enough. It really does help us out. And then go over to YouTube, our video side of the podcast. Watch that. Make sure to subscribe, like, comment, and turn our notification bells on. And after that, check us out on social media. Again, we do all these player interviews, all these fan interviews, all this fun interactive stuff. Go check us out and follow us over there as well. Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at MarineLayerPod. That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.